Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, I'm a programmer at TIFF now, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is Carly Stone, a filmmaker who got her start as a writer and story editor on Kim's Convenience and made her feature debut with The New Romantic, starring Jessica Barden, in 2018. Her second feature, North of Normal, is an adaptation of Sia Sunrise Person's memoir about growing up with an extremely unconventional mother in an extremely unconventional fashion. It premiered at TIFF last September and returns to the Lightbox this Thursday, July 27th, kicking off its run with two nights of Q&As with Carly and co-star Sarah Gadden. I'll be moderating the Friday night show at 6.30 p.m. You should come down. Carly picked Celine Song's brilliant new drama, Past Lives, which stars Greta Lee as Nora, a young woman who emigrated from Korea to Canada with her mother as a little girl, eventually ending up in New York, married to a very nice man named Arthur. But when Hae Sung, the boy she'd left behind, reconnects with her and announces he's coming to visit, Nora finds herself questioning every choice she's made in her life and thinking about the big choice that might lie in front of her. With a fully felt performance by Lee and pitch-perfect turns from John Magaro and Tao Yu as Arthur and Hae Sung, respectively, it's a rare character piece that explores every facet of its premise and delivers an unforgettable experience. This is someone else's movie. I actually haven't gone out to the theater a lot obviously in the past few years, but even since movies have been back, I went for TIFF because my movie was there, but it takes a lot for me to get to the theater. I have to know I'm going to love the movie. I know that's not fair, but (laughs) that's usually how I get there. Also, I have small kids, so it takes like a lot of organization to get there. But Past Lives was one of those. I have to see it. And I'm so glad I did. I saw it at the TIFF pre-screening uh, I guess last month or like six weeks ago. And usually when I think that a film is bold, the word loud comes to mind. And I thought this film was so bold in its quietness and it's stayed with me for so long. It still stays with me. And I haven't had a movie like that hang on, hang out with me for so long in a long time. And when when I had to pick which movie we were going to talk about, Past Lives is one that I couldn't stop talking about to my friends and family. So it felt like the right choice. Oh, that's fantastic. I love it as well. I, I think it's one of the best films of this year. And my new life as an exhibitor has changed things. I've, I saw it months ago and then just couldn't talk about it couldn't say anything about it and I didn't want to really to spoil it for people. But, you know, when it was at Sundance, um, there was all this, oh my God, you guys have no idea what's coming. This is, this is such a good film, such a small, perfect little precise story. And at a point right now where we're seeing more and more films by and about transplanted filmmakers uh, or transplanted artists, people who aren't quite at home where they are at home, um, it felt like it twinned really beautifully with Rice Boy Sleeps. I mean, they're both about Korean expats, but they're also about they're about how children are hostage to their parents' decisions and how mm-hmm. the person you are is so dependent on the on the person you were, but also on things that were completely out of your control when you started to have a personality, started to evolve. And the the beauty of this film is that it captures that 
conversation that we all have between melancholy and nostalgia. Like nostalgia is a fondness for things that you did and melancholy is the things that you could have done and didn't do. Um, And everyone has experienced that, whether or not their situation is, you know, similar in any way beyond that to Nora's. Um, It's so simple and so beautiful and so, so exquisitely acted. Uh, Right. I mean, I, 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 I don't direct. I don't, I've never had to pull things out of people or, or encourage actors to get to a certain place, but I was just watching Greta Lee exist as Nora for half of the picture and just watching her hesitations and watching her little micro expression stuff. It's, I mean, this is a movie made for the big screen close up experience, right? I mean, it's rapturous. Yeah, it was, I read an interview with Celine Song who described directing it, maybe directing in general for her, but it was more specifically about this movie that she was like a composer composing music. And it really felt like that, like there was so much in Greta Lee's performance when she wasn't speaking and then the precise moment where she chose to to speak. And when they, it was about the not touching as much as it was about the touching and it it just had this precise beautiful rhythm that I know like poets and musicians talk about being visited by inspiration and they just have to capture it and write it down whether it's a song or a poem and it felt like this is kind of it just felt like it came out whole obviously it didn't making a film is so hard but she made it look like it just came out of her whole and precise and pure and the conversations that it brought up metaphor, like in a bigger sense, but also in the dialogue of like the scene when Arthur and Nora are in bed together. And it's just such a simple, it's a simple composition of a scene and it's a simple conversation, but he, he asks her if he makes her world as big as she makes his world. And it's just such a beautiful conversation told so simply and it's something I think everyone can relate to maybe it's not things that are said out loud a lot but yeah the film's like it's quiet but when it speaks it's so loud yeah and I'm I'm glad you brought up Arthur before I could because that character in every other version of this story is an obstacle it was Showalter wasn't it Michael Showalter who made the movie The Baxter it's always I always confuse it it's him or David Wayne but it was Showalter Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about the guy in the romantic comedy who gets left behind the guy who's there to be left at the altar and whose only purpose is to be an obstruction, an obstacle to the, to the real love. And the, the thing that song does is that she lets us know that he has seen those movies too, that yeah. Arthur, Arthur knows how he's being perceived. Uh, and we have that great little opening sequence with the the onlookers, somebody eavesdropping on their conversation and just muttering, like, why are they together? And who's that? And it's true. In that moment, he's a Baxter. He's positioned as someone who doesn't match, right? Like on the most basic level, he's not Korean. He doesn't, he doesn't match Nora. He doesn't get her the way that Sung does. They have a shared history that that he doesn't have. But from the very first scene where he meets Sung, Arthur starts to recede. And I think that's the genius of it. Like he's, it's, it's exactly what he's saying in the, in the bedroom scene. Like he doesn't want to be the thing that restricts her. 
And if yeah. this is what's going to make her happy, then he has to move away and, and, and physically remove himself from there, like give her the space. And I remember um, a couple of weeks ago, I was having a conversation with somebody and they said it, they didn't buy it. They didn't believe that Arthur would just be passive and he's not passive. He's afraid. He knows this is the thing that will end his marriage. Like if he, if he, if he gets in the way at all, he'll yeah. push her towards him. And I, I, I mean, I worried briefly when I first saw it, it's like, am I the white guy empathizing with the white guy exclusively? But it just, to me, it feels that I'm, I'm seeing a, a script where all three characters and a film where all three characters are given equal standing. I mean, Sung has a handful of lines where he sort of goes in this direction and, and also acknowledges the weight of his presence for Nora, but the scales are always in balance in the movie. The movie sympathizes and empathizes with all three of them. And, and that's, I think that's why it's so powerful. It's just such a, it's such an impossible situation for any one of these three people to find themselves in. And ultimately Nora carries it and it's her story, but both men are, are given equal standing, which is not something most of these movies do. Yes. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't also not describe Arthur as passive. I would describe him as honest. And it's mm. like those honest conversations. It's because he said that because he's like, I will not stand in your way. It's probably the reason why he doesn't. It's the, probably the reason why they remain together and the reason why you respect their relationship and believe it's right for Nora in one version of her life. And uh, it doesn't say which version. I love how the movies, it's not about regret. It's about creating space for to explore and wonder about the other options. And they are not necessarily right or wrong and making peace with that. And I think that's something that, you know, like the more specific a story is, the more universal it becomes. And this is such an example of that. I think everyone can relate to looking back on their past and wondering if the decisions they made were right or wrong and what ifs and like we've seen films and tv shows explore that recently like uh that scene in Fleischman is in trouble comes to mind where where that the girl's like have I made all the decisions I've already made in my life yeah and uh this 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 past lives doesn't feel like it takes any cynicism with asking that question which which I loved yeah, it's a film that is open to not just possibilities, but the possibility of understanding the possibilities. And again, it's a it's a it's a note that isn't played in a lot of movies. And I started wondering why, just because it's potential is a fascinating subject, right? Like missed potential, wasted potential, uh, seething potential. People who who may yet become the best version of themselves. Like that's the the heart of drama, really. And watching Celine Song just put that there and leave it there for us to consider in every scene, it feels like the best way in. And maybe that's it. Nobody's ever really wanted to risk stasis, to risk just sitting with someone while they have these conversations with themselves. And it's so powerful. Yeah. And this movie feels so confident in in what it wants to explore that as a viewer, you get to be so patient with it. And yeah, I just found that the precision of the scenes and the soundtrack was like, it was just, it it exists 
it kind of exists in the past and the present at the same time. It feels quite timeless, but it feels current as well with the way uh, she jokes about even how they how she jokes with Arthur like about Inyan at first and she undercuts it and she's like, it's just what Korean people say to sleep with someone. And then it's actually, <laughs> no, it's not. It's what the whole movie's about. And it's something that's a huge cornerstone of this, like the belief system that we're asked to subscribe to and what me people already subscribe to. And I, I, I love that it was so, it had like a, it was like a, a pulse on the now with like cat powers, uh, rendition of stay but like in the past with like van morrison and leonard cohen it 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 had everything for me hey it's norm interrupting my own show to bring you up to speed on shiny things my newsletter about physical media culture and the odd streaming project This week, I'll be writing about Ari Aster's Bo is Afraid and the complicated legacy of the Mission Impossible movies, among other things. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at shiny-things.ghost.io or find a link in the Semcast Twitter account. You like reading about movies? I like writing about them. Come check it out. I do want to talk about the performances as well. The, the, the mood of the film is, is exceptional and it's a remarkable accomplishment. And I hope Celine Song gets all the awards that people can pile onto her. Uh, but the performances, you know, they're, they're equally, if not more so, um, mm. important in, in conveying this. And, and I had not seen Greta Lee in a, in a leading role before. I, I love her work. She had that great episode of what we do in the shadows. And, and of course there's Russian doll and all the other stuff, but the, the way that she lets Nora just sort of simmer in, in moments. And again, song is allowing the space for that very, very clearly, but she holds the screen so confidently without a shred of confidence. Like that's mm-hmm. the thing you're watching this person not know what to do for her, the entire film. She knows who she is and she knows what she wants and she doesn't know how to get there. They all understand how tenuous the relationships are and how one person's decision can change their entire lives as adults. But none of them seems to accept that they're the ones who might make the decision. Like they're mm-hmm. all three of them are waiting for the other person to make a move. And that's what's so exquisite, the tension of that under every conversation, in every interaction. And all three of these actors are just like they're it's a dance. They're 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 moving back and forth in the frame with one another and 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 almost reaching out and then not, or they are, and then they're they're missed and and doing things that, you know, the casual moments where Arthur just steps back while while Heisung and Nora start speaking in Korean and he Nora tries to translate, but then sort of gives up and he's aware that she stopped trying, but he lets it happen. And it just it feels so quietly heartbreaking, especially as the conversation gets more and more emotionally intense. And he's clearly aware of it. Arthur sees that, but he won't interrupt because he doesn't want to be that guy. Mm-hmm. And in that scene, he disappears for them. And it's the film lets us see it. It lets us see how they don't 
really notice that it's happening. And I've been in situations where I catch up with an old friend with someone else around and yeah, it, it gets weird. And afterwards you say, Oh, Hey, I'm sorry. I forgot. You know, like I, I didn't include you in that, mm-hmm. but it's so weighted here, not just with the friendship, but with time and with longing and with everything with else. The language. Yeah. 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 It feels like with the performances, it feels like they're discovering at the same time we're discovering as, as audience members, it feels like Greta or Nora, Greta Lee as Nora doesn't go, it doesn't feel like she's going into meeting Arthur being like, oh, look, here's going to be like my husband and we're going to have this long life together. She's just like, I'm on a writer's retreat. Uh, I'm kind of drunk. That like, it, it's unpredictable. You watch her discover him in the moment. You watch her be like, when 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 she reunites with Song, you don't know if she's going to throw her whole life away for him, if she's going to be totally disappointed and embarrassed that she almost did throw her life away for him. Yeah. You're, you're with her the whole time as she's, as she's coping with it and going back and forth with it. And that's just a crazy thing for an actor to pull off the, the, the realness of it, of the yeah. moment to moment wavering. Yeah. And it's something that, again, we've all been there. We've all had a version of that happen to us. And so I get the, as you say, the specificity makes it more universal, but at the same time, it's such a huge risk to do something like this as a, as a narrative choice, because if you get it wrong, everyone will know, like the whole audience, every audience everywhere will know if this is a false note. And, mm-hmm. and the, this is Celine Song's first feature. She's a stage director. It is such a hard transition. I have seen so many movies by theater people that are very miscalibrated for the screen, right? Like they go for bigger performances or they don't trust the audience without a score to help them along, or there's a lot of telegraphing. um, And it's always just like, oh, right, right, right. You don't understand the intimacy of the form that you're working with. Yeah. And she nails it. She just (laughs) instantly brings us into the world and just leaves us there. And it's yeah. like it's hauntingly good. And that's why I love that it's still only in theaters because it is something that really it like you really have to see it on the big screen because you can see the flinches and the blinks and the shifting eyes and it's it's just something that wouldn't translate unless you have the setup that you have over there but <laughs> uh, it's it's and and, and for me like preparing to talk about it with you I was like I can't it's not like I can go rewatch it I can't get to a theater right now it's just something that has stayed in my head which which is which is a really it's used to be how you experience movies but it was cool to have that experience again especially with a movie like this yeah I even at home even even in a setup like this you've got you know, like the dog is going to make a noise or you're going to your phone will buzz or something it's it's increasingly impossible to um isolate yourself with a movie the way that i want to like the way that the most of us ought to be doing but there is a generation that's grown up with the distraction everywhere and now doesn't i hate saying it but doesn't pay attention and and yeah. seeing a film at the lightbox where our audience is are still kind of reverent feels like a miracle frankly that we can do yeah. that every time i'm there for a secret movie club and, and people get quiet for a drama ah uh, it's so good it feels so good 
Yeah, quiet for a drama is is something. My first movie was a comedy, and I didn't have the experience of watching my movie with a quiet for a drama. Sure. <laughs> and I didn't really know about it as a filmmaker, but like, I you want quiet for a drama. <laughs> But it's terrifying too. I know it's at the terrifying. first screenings. I mean, why is everybody quiet? But but as a viewer sitting in the quiet, it's a, a seat shift that you notice, and you're like it, like the the energy in the room when you're watching a drama like Past Lives. You notice this seat shifts. You notice a phone light. You ever you just want everything to be totally still. Yeah, and we will have that for North of Normal, I promise, which actually brings me to that. Because um, I realized as I'm, I'm talking to you, oh, of course, you made a movie about children who were hostage to their parents. I mean, that's that's ultimately what North of Normal is in, in its uh, taking a conventional coming of age structure and applying it to an extremely unconventional story, which is also true in this case. And Past Lives is semi-autobiographical, at least I'm led to understand. Yeah. Um, that's kind of an interesting uh, parallel line as well. Um, what I usually ask to to towards the end of an episode is, you know, like if you've lifted or borrowed or, or outright stolen anything, obviously in this case, past lives is post your film. So mm -hmm. that's not going to be a thing, but we can talk about the resonance if you want the, the sense that you're placing our uh, dramatic satisfaction in the hands of characters who will not behave the way everyone would behave like it, it is the opposite of past lives in that way in that it's similar um it's sort of a prequel or, or the the first movement of Nora's story where mm -hmm. she really doesn't have a say in anything that happens and she's moving with her mother because her mother is moving and that's sort of all of your film yeah exactly um well past lives gives me hope for quiet drama's resonance compared to the flashy, not that I don't love flashy loud movies, but <laughs> that, that they could, they, they could succeed or, or connect just as much, just as much. Um, but yeah, North and Normal does relate in that it's a, the, you see uh, the young girl doesn't have a say in how she's brought up. And then the movie is about her learning to have a say and what her say is and how it, conflicts with her parents and how it not her parents with her mother and her her grandparents and how that conflict shapes the rest of her life so she's not transplanting from a place like Korea but she is transplanting culturally because she's going from living off the grid cut off from civilization to living in a city for the first time when she's a teenager which is like a very big fish out of water setup. Yeah. And one that would be terrifying to a young person too. Like I keep forgetting, or we keep forgetting collectively the teenagers just aren't people yet. I mean, they are, they have personalities, but they're children. They are still children. And, and your film really gets that in a way that I think a few other movies might have missed that she is, it's not that she's not, socialized she's not but she's not socialized but she's also completely undeveloped right like yeah. it's it's the the inability to process the overload and and the the urge to rush back into safety where we can understand as an audience that it's not safe that the way she's been raised is it's not neglectful exactly but it's 
not prepared her in any way for the world that she she is about to exist in forever. Yeah. And as a transition, as a coming of age movie, like that's just like being thrown into not the shallow, like, you know, there's the shallow end and the deep end of, of, of the metaphor, but this is like the deep end. It's filled with sharks. The sharks are driving cars, like everything about it is terrifying. And yeah. there's a lyricism to your film that I like kind of, I was really surprised by that, that we still get to share her initial perspective and watch that shape change over the course of the film. Right. And, and it's interesting when you see like her, she can't run back to her safety because she's quickly learning that her safety wasn't safe. Mm-hmm. And so her, her, her life jackets ripped off her in the shark infested waters, um, which I'm sure back to the, the specificity leaning, leading to universal resonance i'm hoping people who haven't been raised off the grid can still feel how terrifying it is to grow up (laughs) oh yeah i mean for me it was i had a completely ordinary suburban upbringing except for a couple of things which again you when you grow up as a child you just assume everybody has the same experience right like you don't understand that people live differently better worse however you want to rank it but you just assume that whatever's happening to you is what always happens to people and then you meet other people who introduce you to a bigger, stranger existence than you ever imagined. And that comes across. The, the, the center perspective exploding outwards or the perspective right. being destroyed by reality, right? And we'll talk about this on Friday night. The cast is essential to this, right? Like it's not the movie's perspective. It's the way that, again, the actors carry the thread and, and demonstrate these things. They have to physically enact the metaphors really. And uh, I mean, I know Sarah a little, I have watched her career for over a decade and I don't think I've ever seen her try something like this. And it's a blast. It's just so good to watch her be that different. That's what I loved about working with her on this uh, was getting to play with a a side in her craft that I don't think she, she has gotten the opportunity or just hasn't been the project like this where she is playing this character. And it was so exciting to work with her for this character, Michelle, who was the character, even though the story is about Sia, it was Sia's mom, Michelle, that made me really want to make this movie. I found her to be such a compelling character filled with contradictions. Um, You don't know which way she's going to go. And I, I really loved playing with that uh, and like like that in past lives that what you're saying in a totally different way but Greta Lee you don't you don't know which way she's gonna go ever and I, and I think that's my favorite that's my favorite type of movie is just constantly overturning expectations yeah well and then there's the energy too of casting a comic actor or an actor known for comedy in a dramatic right. role right because the energy is so completely different both in your expectation and in the actor's performance, because they will find choices that just haven't been done before. Yeah. Yeah. The tension of the performances. And again, it's like casting Sarah in a role like that is something that is just unexpected enough to keep us on edge a little tiny bit. And it destabilizes a, a, a recognizable genre structure, which is the kind of thing that I'm seeing more and more often now. And I love it. I love not being able to predict where something is going for the first time in decades. Yeah. Yeah. Me too.
My thanks to Carly Stone, whose new film North of Normal opens this Thursday, July 27th, across Canada. In Toronto, it's at the Tiff Bell Lightbox, with Q&As with Carly and Sarah Gadden Thursday and Friday nights. I'm hosting the Friday night event at 6.30pm. Tickets are still available at tiff.net. Thanks also to Kate Parks. She knows what she did. Carly is not on Twitter. I'm still calling it that. But you can find past lives in theaters now, including at the Lightbox, where it's having a really great run. It'll be on disc eventually, but you know the deal. Movies like this are so much better in a proper theater. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and you can find this podcast there at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. The first year of the show is still available for just 20 bucks at payhip.com slash Semcast. That's the first 52 episodes of Someone Else's Movie, 44 of which aren't currently available anywhere else. And check out my newsletter, Shiny Things, at shiny-things.ghost.io. I think you'll enjoy it. Our theme song is by the last year. If you like it, or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been listening. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're doing that. Stay safe. Watch movies. Wear a mask if you go out. Get your booster when you can. I'll see you next week. <laughs>